Well, the title of my message this morning is A New Wave is Coming. A New Wave is Coming. Now, I'm sort of basing this on the message I spoke of at the pastor's convention at our headquarters in Waverly, which was partially based on the message I spoke here in the the new year, the new year message on having faith for revival, you know, to pray and that faith would arise. And um, what's interesting is that several of the speakers were sharing on revival before I was speaking. And so a lot, they're using, getting a little nervous. They're using some of the same verses and saying some of the same things. But, you know, like it says in 1 Corinthians 13, mouth of two or three witnesses, the word is established. So God was really speaking. Uh, and, and so I wanted to just look at some thoughts from the passage in Joel 2.23, when his prophet's making declaration about the rain being poured out uh, upon the, the land of Israel. And, you know, the land of Israel, as we've considered before, is totally dependent upon the rain of heaven. Now, modern day, they've done some upgrades, but we're looking at the biblical Israel. If it didn't rain, they couldn't grow anything. You know, it wasn't like Egypt where they could just pump it all out of the Nile. They relied upon the rain from heaven. And, you know, so a lot of times the judgment came that came upon Israel was it didn't rain. You know, the Lord withheld the rain, kind of like when the prophet Elijah, the Lord said, pray that it won't rain. And it didn't for three and a half years. Like, can you imagine three and a half years of no rain? Even in Florida, I mean, that would be hard to imagine for us. There's a lot of water around, but imagine in a dry place, no rain. Well, of course, God did, did that to work in Israel's heart, but I'm grateful that the Lord has a plan for restoration. And, you know, Joel gives this wonderful prophecy. And let's read this together. Joel 2.23, it says, Be glad then, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you the former rain moderately, and he will cause to come down for you the rain, the former and the latter rain in the first month. And the floors shall be full of wheat, and the fat shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten, and the cankerworm, and the caterpillar, and palmer worm, my great army, which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied, and praise the name of the Lord your God, that has dealt wondrously with you, and my people shall never be ashamed. Now, what's so wonderful about this verse? Yes, we're glad God's going to visit Israel. But we're also very glad he's going to visit the church and that this has a direct application to the church. You know, all that God will that God will deal wondrously with his people and we will never be ashamed as we follow him. Now, just considering natural Israel, it's good to consider that because, you know, this replenishment, so to speak, has has taken place right since Israel was restored as a nation in 1948. You know, they've been working towards a program of restoring the land and kind of reclaiming the desert and make, making it bloom. Um, I've got a slide I wanted to show you, a picture here. But, you know, since Israel has been reestablished as a nation, here's a satellite photo kind of looking down. You know, they've planted almost 250 million trees in Israel. I didn't even know that. And then you look at the satellite and you see Okay, there's desert. That's Israel used to look like that. But it's like 
there's been a restoration that's been taking place in the natural, right? And you see all that green there. That's a lot of trees that have been planted in Israel. Um, and so they've, they've also achieved some great things in irrigation and micro, you know, drip irrigation, micro, and that kind of thing. Um, and so they've made the, the desert blossom as a rose. But, you know, that, that natural illustration is the picture of what he wants to do in his church, that he wants his church to just be full of life. And so we're really concerned about the fulfillment of, of Joel's prophecy coming upon the people of God. Because we're looking for the rain, aren't we? We're looking for the outpouring of the rain of the Spirit uh, coming upon the church. Because that, as it you know, came upon the church in the, in the beginning, we're looking for that to come as well at the end. Uh, and there's something I, I heard from uh, Pastor Bailey. Of course, he's the founder of our fellowship. And, but I was listening to an old tape from him, and he was talking about the, these verses from Joel. And he shares something the Lord spoke to him about these. And, and I just wanted to, I thought I'd take the opportunity to play a short clip. And we've never done that in our church service before. Play a clip, at least that I can remember, of Pastor Bailey. And so I wanted to do that just it, maybe it can have like a little impartation of something God spoke to him that we are still looking for. Now, keep in mind, this was recorded many years ago. Uh, and it, so we're still waiting for some of these things. But uh, let's just listen to him. It's only three and a half minutes. And so if we can play that. When we were in Indonesia about uh, the months of May and June, the Lord spoke to me so very clearly and he said, a new wave is coming. He said, the old wave is going out and a new wave is coming in. And to better understand that statement, let us turn first of all to Joel, Joel chapter 2 and verse 23. Now, in Joel, in Joel chapter 2 and verse 23, we have God's plan for the last years of this dispensation concerning the outpouring of his Spirit. Now, we have here the former rain and the latter rain. And we know that in Israel, there are basically two rains. There's a former rain, which softens up the ground and enables the farmer to put his plow in and to dig the furrows deep, plant his crop. And then there are a series of showers afterwards, lighter ones, but then there comes the heavy latter rain that brings the harvest to maturity. Now, spiritually speaking, we understand that the former rain is that outpouring of the Spirit of God that opened up the church age on the day of Pentecost. And the latter rain is the great outpouring of the Spirit of God that will bring the church to maturity. But in Joel chapter 2 and verse 23, we have three outpourings. We have, first of all, this statement, for God hath given you the former rain moderately. And the Lord quickened that to us a number of years ago, and he said, well, the charismatic movement is the former rain in moderation. In fact, in the charismatic movement, we have everything that they had on the day of Pentecost, everything that we see recorded in the New Testament church, but in moderation. 
and it was, I said in Indonesia, the Lord spoke and said, now he said, that wave is going out, and he said, there is a new wave coming in, and the new wave is going to be the former rain, or the same power that they had on the day of Pentecost. You know, it's so encouraging, so encouraging, when you see what's happening in the world today. We have to look at Israel. And Israel, you know, has just finished a war. But Israel started that war on their last day of Pentecost. They celebrate Pentecost differently to that which we celebrate. But in the Jewish calendar, they opened that war on the last day of their Feast of Pentecost. God giving a natural sign that we are to direct our thoughts and our hearts and our mind towards the day of Pentecost. And so the Lord started to speak afresh to our hearts and he said, now I'm going to bring the true New Testament church into being. And the New Testament church is founded upon notable miracles and an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so, you know, Pastor Bailey was sharing how the Lord spoke to him about the charismatic revival. Um, you know, that it was like the former reign in moderation. And, you know, for, for the younger generation... The charismatic revival is kind of something that you hear stories about. It's in the history books, so to speak. Um, and, you know, that wave was going out when I was born. So I just heard stories about it growing up. But even as that wave was going out, the Lord was speaking to Pastor Bailey to look for another wave that was coming, that God was going to bring a new wave of his spirit, but not so new because it's that same wave that came upon the church in the beginning. And it would be a wave not of the latter rain, but of the former rain, as in the day of Pentecost. And then after that would be the wave of the latter rain, which would be like the Feast of Tabernacles, which was seven times greater in the sense that it was seven times longer than Pentecost. And so, you know, as, as we heard Pastor Bailey kind of mentioning, you know, that these rains in Israel would happen. Uh, and so, actually, it was in the kind of the fall, as we know it, in September, October, they would start to anticipate the rains, the early rains, and these rains would come and soften the hard ground so it could be plowed up and they could plant the seeds and they would, you know, get, they would have off and on showers through that time. But then the, the, the harvest would start to grow up and what it needed is it needed an abundant rain. And, and that would come in the springtime, and it would just give enough moisture for those crops, which was the, the, the harvest of the barley and the wheat, to grow up and to become mature. And so there's those two rains that we see that picture of in Joel that the Lord was speaking to Pastor Bailey about. And, you know, really it shows us a picture of what he wants to do in the church. God is coming for a full, mature bride. And he's going to pour out his spirit so that that can take place 
in a, in a nice, soft Pentecost rain, you could say, but then in, in a mighty outpouring that's going to bring the church to maturity so that there were, you know, in, in every tongue, tribe, and nation, there has been made ready a people who are, who are without spot or wrinkle, like a very mature crop that God's going to come and harvest and take to heaven. So we have great expectation of further waves of the Spirit, and thank God for that. Because then you look at the world today, it's like, Lord, if you're not going to send waves of the Spirit, can you just come now? <laughs> Get us out of here. Because <laughs> it's, it's, it's getting dark and it's not fun. But yet, we have an anticipation, you know, of the greatest harvest that the world has ever seen. And, and you know, it's not just coming to produce a harvest of souls, but a harvest of saints who have been transformed to become like the Lamb. Now, as Pastor Bailey was sharing, we're looking for the next wave, but the Lord spoke to him. It's like the early rain or the former rain, depending on which translation. You know, and so that was that preparatory rain to soften the ground because there's hardness. And, you know, I mean, that's why we look out and we say, oh, Lord, we need you because it's there's such hardness in the world today, whether it's in people's hearts. Right. If you go out and try and witness, sure, it seems like a lot of times the seeds are bouncing off the wayside. Right. <laughs> we need the Lord to come and move. Now, it's not that they don't get through. There's other places in the world where like you can you can stand on a street corner and start preaching and people gather around and they're like, oh, Lord. We won't, yeah, we'll get saved and follow the Lord. But yet they have other forms of hardness. They have persecution. Right? They have uh, tribulation. In fact, I was reading on, on one of the WhatsApp groups um, for a missionary in a certain country in Africa. We won't say it because of the, the video. But, but they just went out over the weekend witnessing and led 250 people to Christ. 250 decisions for Christ. Right. And it's like the the harvest is white. But but, you know, there it seems like they're kind of ahead of the curve, so to speak, and in in the softness of people's hearts. But yet they're facing great persecution where they are. And so they they need an outpouring to deal with that, you know, the spirit of God to be with them. But we rejoice for them for, for what God's doing. But yet we need the reign of the spirit. So that he can overcome the world through the power of his spirit, you know. And of course, in the early church, they faced hardness and persecution at the same time, you know. And that was overcome by the mighty rain that poured out. And that was manifested through signs and wonders and notable miracles that made the world take notice. And it opened and softened the hearts of people to receive Christ, to, to hear that message and receive it. Now, something very interesting, the, that, that literal meaning of the phrase from Joel 2.23, the former rain, right? He's giving us the former rain. Uh, that, that phrase, it means it's the carrot has the thought of an archer, you know, someone who shoots an arrow from a bow. Also, the thought of a teacher. And that word moderately is used many other times as the word righteousness. And so here is this thought, uh, you know, it, you could say it could be translated. He has given you teachers of righteousness 
You know, speaking of those who, they're, they're going to hit the mark of raising up and teaching the multitudes in the ways of the righteousness of God, of God's ways. And really, that's the purpose of the former reign. The former reign is given to raise up teachers of righteousness. And that's why we need the, de- the, the reign of the Spirit to come, uh, because God wants to raise up teachers of righteousness, laborers in His vineyard that can bring in the harvest of millions and millions into the church. I mean, uh, I, I don't know if I heard it on a tape or if I heard it at a convention or something. It all jumbles together when you listen to a lot of tapes. But I, I remember someone talking about how they've, they've had, there've been visions people had of the last days. And they said, literally, there will not be enough churches to hold them. There's going to be such a harvest that people are going to be like, where's a church that's not jam-packed so that I can go and, and meet with God in here? There's going to be such a desperation. And if there are not laborers and people who can teach and fathers and mothers that can raise them up, what happens when a harvest isn't brought in? It just it rots on the field. But God says that's not going to happen because he is going to raise up laborers and teachers of righteousness who can bring in the harvest. Because he's not just coming for a harvest of souls. He's coming for a harvest of saints, of kings and priests. You know, from a context of our fellowship, Zion Fellowship, right? we're a direct product of the charismatic revival. You know, you think of, of, of Pastor Bailey, who ministered in that, and then God, you know, birthed something in him to, and leading the, the organization, Zion Fellowship, and, you know, to, to raise up teachers and to have a platform and a curriculum that, that can be used to establish Bible schools in every nation, um, right, as a vision. But really, it's, it's for the purpose of raising up teachers of righteousness so that they, in turn, can bring in a harvest of saints. But our eyes today are on the new wave. Lord, bring that new wave in so that we can have the reign of your spirit, that teachers of righteousness can be raised up and we can be a part of that. Amen. Now, there's two things I want to bring out uh, regarding this thought of the new wave that I think directly applies to to the people of God and to us and, and so forth. And one is, is something I touched on at the beginning of the year. Is, is that aspect of, of taking part in this new wave. And you know, in one sense, we're talking about a wave that's coming. It is coming. But there's also that sense of participation, of us being able to participate in it, of that being birthed in us and through us, in our churches, in our fellowship, and if that is going to take place, that is developed. That birthing happens through prayer. It comes through prayer, praying for revival, crying out. And we talked about that, and I won't, I won't go into everything we talked about. But, you know, we recognize that, that it is coming to the time, that it is the time of the latter rain, and it is time to seek the Lord till he rain righteousness upon us. You know, kind of like Daniel, right? We talked about him. His ministry was for 70 years in Babylon. And it's, it's kind of amazing to think. Sometimes you think, well, Daniel's ministry was, 
like to Nebuchadnezzar and stuff and to right, Belshazzar and all the kings. Well, yes, that was, I, I think that was an aspect and God recorded that. But you know what his most consistent ministry was? Three times a day on his knees, setting his face to Jerusalem that had been totally destroyed, saying, Lord, restore. Lord, restore. Restore your work in the midst of the years. Revive it. Lord, raise up your people again and restore them as a people, as a nation. He prayed that for 70 years, three times a day. I wasn't there to, to overhear that, but that's my assumption, and I, I think it's a safe assumption that his prayer was for Israel to be restored. But something happened at the end, right? And that's what's significant that we read about in the book of Daniel, because at the end, he realized from the prophet jo Jeremiah, it was near. It's almost the time. And what happened was he got... He really got at it in prayer. He got intense. He focused and he prayed and he cried out. And, you know, through his prayer, he was fighting battles in the heavenly realm. Things were happening, you know, and it's that sense of travail and crying out that's significant in Daniel. But it's also significant in Christ, right? When he was birthing something, there was a travail and a crying out. Right, both for the cross, but and even in when he was doing something significant, right? We can kind of see that with the, the story of Lazarus. Remember when he was he waited those four days and then he was coming to do something mighty, a mighty sign through Lazarus. And when he when he came to Mary, we read the shortest, but probably the most powerful verse for word, <laughs> for the number of words in it. John eleven thirty five. 35, we can all memorize this one. Jesus wept. Right? He wept when he got to the, when he, when he saw what, what the cost was in the lives of Mary and Martha. And then when he went to the tomb in, in verse 38, it says, then Jesus again groaning within himself, he came to the tomb. You know, and so before this mighty miracle took place, this demonstration of the power of God, there was a weeping, a groaning, a travail in the spirit of Christ. You know, one of the prophecies of Christ in, in Isaiah 53, 11, it says, he will see, he shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. You know, and it's like, Christ was called to bring forth salvation for all mankind, but to do so, he experienced a travail that came upon him. But that travail produced a miracle and great joy. You know, he would see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. And through his travail, he justified many. And, and that's kind of how I feel the Lord, you know, wants to connect us to the work of his spirit in a new way. Right to bring forth the miracle. There's a there's a travail involved in seeking God and crying out, "Oh Lord, send your latter rain. Lord, would you birth something in our midst?" But that brought forth a mighty miracle. You know, there's actually something in this thought of of intercession and tears we can relate back to Joel. That was really interesting. 
but it's not in Joel, it's actually in Psalm 84. Um, and Psalm 84 is the Psalm of the priests, right? And, and it talks about how they're longing and fainting for the courts of the Lord and their heart and flesh are crying out for the living God. But then there's this very familiar verse that I never really connected in the same way. Psalm 84, 6 says, Who passing through the valley of Baca, Baca means tears, they make it a well, the rain fills the pools. The rain fills the pools. The word for rain here is more, which is the same word used in Joel for the early rain. So there's a different word for early and latter rain and rain and rain. There's, I think there's like four main words used for rain in the Hebrew. This is the word for the early rain. You know, and so Psalm 84 is saying, those who pass through that valley, the valley of tears, the former rain fills the pools. And so it's like these times of intercession and tears and crying out is, is carving something in our lives and in our churches as we're crying out, Lord, would you move from heaven? Lord, would you move in our city, in our community? Lord, move in our fellowship, move in the lives of these people who are, who are going through difficulty. And the Lord says, those who pass through the valley of tears, they're going to experience that rain that's poured out from heaven. You know, it's, it's, it's as if that process of intercession makes us vessels to contain his reign. Now, one thing I want to emphasize, you know, when we're talking about praying for revival, right, it's, it's that this is a work of faith. It's not something we can produce, right? We can't just work it up and just say, we're going to have revival meetings and we're going to have, you know, have, we're going to have pray for revival every night. But if, if it's not faith, then it's just striving. Right? It's not that prayer isn't good, but it must be the prayer of faith, right? In fact, it literally says that the prayer of faith will heal the sick, right? We need faith to arise. And, you know, I think it's illustrated so well in the story of Peter. You know, when we're, we're looking for the power of God and, and the miraculous. You know, Peter in, in Matthew chapter 14, is, that's when he was in the boat and there was a storm and they were waiting for Jesus to, uh, or they, Jesus told him, go, go across. They got caught in a storm and they're, you know, they're trying, I'm sure they're probably like, get the rigging right and yeah, row, <laughs> come on guys. But as they looked out in the storm, they saw something. They saw Jesus walking. I would. I hope I can see the replay of that. You know, just to see that. Are you seeing what I'm? Am I seeing something? You know, is that is that Jesus walking on the water? You know, but we know the story of Peter walking out to him. But I want us to consider. He did not dare take one step out of that boat. And try and walk on his own. What did he do? Well, he he said this in Matthew fourteen twenty eight. He said, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. Speak to me. Tell me to come. I'll walk out. And so he was just looking for a seed of faith that he could hold on to, that he could plant in his heart. And of course, that seed was like a little mustard seed because it was one word. All Jesus did said was come. And that was enough for him to walk out. And that miracle took place. Now, we won't get on to the next part of <laughs> dealing with the miracle and doubt and so forth. But, you know, 
It was that one word that Jesus gave, but it was because Peter said, Lord, bid me come. Lord, I'm asking for faith. I'm asking for a miracle, but I need faith to produce it. I can't work it up. I can't do it myself, but you can. And so it's the prayer of faith that is so instrumental in allowing his spirit to flow. But I wanted to look at one last aspect here. One last little little thought considering the new wave, and it's the thought of consecration. Consecration. Um, There's a truth we can understand about this from the thought of Pentecost. Because in in the Old Testament, during the Feast of of Pentecost, that was 50 days after Passover, the, the priest was directed to offer two loaves unto the Lord as a wave offering for him um, you can read about that in Leviticus. But, but what's significant about these two loaves is they had leaven in them. Now, if you, read, if, if you read much of the Old Testament, you realize leaven is like, no, no. That's not supposed to be in anything, in any part of the offerings to the Lord, except on Pentecost. That's, that's kind of significant, right? In leaven, it really kind of represents sin, in that sense, right? It's like Paul said in, in Galatians 5, 9, he said, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Right? It, a little leaven hidden in, in that dough causes the whole dough to be affected and rise up. And a little sin hidden in our hearts can change our whole body, change our whole person, you could say, our whole being. And so, but Pentecost had leaven. You know, what was normally considered unclean with the feasts was allowed, why was this? Well, it's interesting, there were two loaves with leaven. And those two loaves can be understood to represent not only Israel being saved, but the unclean Gentiles being saved. And so, you know, something we we have to consider about Pentecost is that the Spirit of God coming upon all flesh. And so in the coming days, I believe the Lord is going to move in many places around the earth. And I, we might even be surprised who the Lord moves upon and, you know, draws and brings to him people we think, well, they're, they're not righteous. Well, God can make them righteous as they respond to the moving of his spirit. And so the Lord's going to draw many hearts and many eyes to him in that second wave, you know, as, as Pastor Bailey was sharing and we read in Joel too. But you know, that's not the end of the matter though. Because there's, a wave after that. Just like there was the feast after, after uh, Pentecost, you know, the final, piece, the final feast is tabernacles. And in tabernacles, there's no leaven. And it's like God draws all flesh to come unto him, but really it's to go on unto holiness, unto perfection. Right? There's no... Uh, you know, and, and it's almost like Passover. There's no leaven associated with Passover because with salvation, there's nothing of man that can save. It's only the perfect sacrifice of Christ. And then it's like, okay, I'm going to show my power to all flesh, but it's to bring us to the final step of tabernacles, of glory, of holiness. And that's really the purpose of the last wave, the latter rain outpouring is to make us a holy, spotless glorious bride, totally consecrated unto the Lord. And of course, I've shared many times 
you know, how the Lord spoke to the Baileys that, you know, about in the past, God has poured out revival upon man, even though they did it their way. Right? They did they did things their way, and there was a lot of flesh happening in, in revivals in the past, but God was gracious and he he moved. But he spoke to the Baileys. But during in the last day revival, things are going to be done my way. Because it's going to be tabernacles. It's going to be everything unto holiness, unto perfection in the sense of allowing him to do his perfect work his way. And so really, the whole purpose of these outpourings that we're praying for and believing for, it's to draw our hearts into doing things God, God's way, to be teachers of righteousness, right? who, who will teach God's ways and they won't cater. You know, we actually heard what one message at the convention was, you know, there's two, there's kind of two categories of, of priests you can see in the Old Testament. There was a priest who catered to the people and they were separated. They had to stay in the outer court. But then there was the priests who did things God's way. And God said, you can approach unto me. You can come into my holy place and, and minister unto me. And so in, in considering these waves and being those who pray and cry out for his new wave to come, you know, I just kind of felt that need to emphasize and recognize what we're asking for. We're asking for God to bring us into a new level of consecration. You know, and it's one sense, we're asking God to bring us into a new level of prayer. But in that, we have to come to a new level of consecration. All right, like the priests, they were a different people, right? Israelites, the other tribes all had their land and their inheritance. The priests didn't have that. I mean, they had some houses they could dwell in, but that's it. They relied upon the 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 sacrifices given of the first fruits and so forth, they, you know, and that's a kind of a type of living by faith, of trusting God. And we're called to be New Testament priests unto the Lord. And you know, it also relates to, to Paul's words in Romans 12, 1, where he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service as New Testament priests. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you, us as priests, will prove to others what is good and acceptable. What is the perfect will of God? And so these last two waves are really bring it to bring us to this point of, Lord, take everything in my life. Use me, my body, soul, and spirit, and make me holy and set apart to be pleasing to you, allowing God to transform us, especially in our thinking. And so when we're talking about prayer and intercession, there has to be a consecration, a sacrifice, a letting go of our way so that the life of the Spirit can come and flow in our midst. And I'll also just close with one last verse. Now, as Israel was about to cross over into the promised land, Joshua declared this in, in Joshua 3.5. Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, which means to, to purify and make holy, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. We want that latter statement, don't we? Lord, we're asking you, do wonders. But Joshua said, 
sanctify ourselves. Be consecrated, be set apart to walk unto me in a new, it was like, we're going to, he's telling Israel, all right, look, folks, you've walked in a certain way up to this point. That's okay. We're about to cross over and it needs a new level. And, you know, in one sense, that's what Pastor Bailey was proclaiming. That's what Joel's proclaiming. We're asking for something and it's like, ooh, revival. Woo-hoo. But it requires a new level. A new level of walking, a new level of praying, a new level of believing, a new level of living. To follow the Lamb wherever He would lead us. And so, you know, I leave that, that thought with you. And two things I feel is important for our church. And, you know, Lord was speaking this at, at the convention as well. You know, our, one is prayer. We are to believe God for great things. We're to come to ask of, of great things of him. Lord, bid me come. Lord, give me faith for great things, and I'll step out, and I'll walk in that faith, and I'll believe for it, and I'll pray until it comes to pass. You know, if we will open our heart to God putting that faith, he'll, he'll give it, and he'll build it up. Might need to intercede for a while for it to come to pass, but it's going to bring life but also that new level of consecration. There has to be a willingness to be set apart where our life is not our own, where we live for the will of another, which is our Heavenly Father. But in doing so, we will be caught in His rain, in His river, because the rivers get big when it rains. We'll get caught in His... You know, the Jordan River in normal times... Is just I've not, I haven't seen it, but everyone who's gone there is like, oh, it should be called the Jordan Creek, right? <laughs> you know. I, th- I think I saw a picture where one part you can almost jump over it. Right? It's so small, but when it floods, it becomes something else. It becomes quite big, you know. So God is calling us into His river, where there will be waters to swim in so that we can be carried into his glorious purposes for our life. And a part of that is being a spotless bride to be joined to the Lamb for all eternity. Amen.